Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books and Critical Theory, which is a podcast that's part of the New Books Network. On this episode, I'm talking to Melanie Ramdarshan-Bold, who's an Associate Professor at the University College London Centre for Publishing, about her new book, Inclusive Young Adult Fiction, Authors of Colour in the United Kingdom. So welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure, partially because this is a really great book, it's really interesting, it's full of really great academic work but also because I think it's really, really important um, in the kind of current moment um, that this sort of research is being done into the uh, cultural industries. And it'd be good to get a sense of kind of what motivates you to write the book and and I guess kind of like why um, you think we needed this book now. What motivated me to write the book was that there have been conversations about the lack of diversity and I put diversity in in quotation marks in the cultural industries and the publishing industries for a few years now and I really just wanted to be part of the conversation and the best way that I know how to get involved in the conversation is through research. So I I am a YA fan. I was a secret YA fan but now I'm quite an obvious YA fan Um, and I've always been interested in children's and YA books so I took it upon myself to, you know, undertake this empirical research to either prove or disprove um, the conversations that were going on. And unfortunately, I proved the authors of colour and the professional, sorry, the publishing professionals of colour right, because there is a distinct lack of authors of colour that have been published and not much change over the years. I mean, it's it's so strange in a way that um, many things in the book uh, tie in really straightforwardly to um, lots of different academics mm-hmm. uh, kind of work and you know making um, the points you've been trying to make. But there is something I think particular um, that's gone on in publishing um, about I guess kind of um, a sense that um, maybe this isn't a problem or you know maybe the kind of genre conventions mm-hmm. of different publishing industry mean that well you know some people are represented here some people are represented there and it'd be, it'd be interesting to hear I guess kind of like why specifically these things have happened uh, in publishing because obviously you know we see parallel debates in music uh, in, in theatre in, in film and television. Um, so what, why have they happened in publishing? Yeah in, in particular. Um, well I think I, I can't speak for the the rest of the cultural industries. I mean, we 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 know that the cultural industries is dominated by uh, professionals from white working class, uh, sorry, white middle class backgrounds, um, and obviously there's been an interest in in, in changing this. Um, with regards to the publishing industry, is the publishing industry more white and middle class than other cultural in, cultural industries? I, I don't really know. Oh, it, it is wildly. Um, oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I suppose that's that. Therein lies the problem. Um, 
the, the publishing industry is also very old and traditional in the way that it's run. Um, it, it not much has changed since you know the end of the patronage system. So it's difficult to actually, not just in terms of the, you know the, the people who are working there or the um, the kind of culture that it's creating. I think even the the day to day activities and the procedures and the practical. Um, working activities they haven't changed that much so trying to change a system that is so very very old and so very very traditional is is difficult and that's that's maybe why it's it's more difficult in the publishing industry than the other creative industries could could you tell me a bit about how you sort of went about um answering these questions and kind of bringing to light um these questions uh, of inequality um in the publishing industry what what were the sort of like methods and the kind of bigger project the book is part of um, okay, so I and I think we discussed this earlier. So the the book is actually part of a much larger project, um, which looks at representation of authors of color in the the children's and YA market in in the UK. Um, so I've done a, another project alongside this, a sort of sister project along um, in the, in collaboration with the Book Trust, which was just published as well. The report was just published, and that employed a similar similar. Um, methodology as well so I I suppose I used a mixed method approach um, by using a combination of quantitative and qualitative methods Um, I thought it was really really important to get some hard facts some um, yeah some data some hard facts so what I did for that is um, I um, I worked with the metadata team at the the lovely metadata team at the British Library um, with various um, with various uh, tags that they they recommended. So for the YA fiction one, it was young adult fiction, um, and for the children's market, it was with other with other tags as well. So I built this corpus of relevant titles, um, based on this uh, British uh, National uh, Biblio- uh, Bibliography database, um, and um, I I and that was built from all of the the books tagged with this phrase young adult fiction published between um for the YA project it was January 2006 and December 2016 and that was thousands and thousands of books um however the the metadata didn't include obviously information such as um demographic information such as gender identity um ethnicity nationality and also the type of publisher, so whether they were a conglomerate, an independent publisher, if they were self-published, etc. So the way, I, so I added all this information, and the way that this information was identified was through digital and printed paratexts. Um, so on publisher and author websites, um, author interviews in print and online media, social media was great, you know, so Twitter, uh, Goodreads, etc. Um, and information on book covers, etc., um, and these were all, you know, self-identified, um, uh, self-identified information as well. So I basically segmented um, the authors by th- this demographic information and analysed it and coded it, etc. And that's that's how I came up with the statistics, which are replicated for the book trust research as well. Um, and from this corpus of um, this this database I identified the British authors of colour. So for the the um 
the YE project, there were only 40. So, um, you know, there, uh, it was quite easy to, to contact and um, interview them. So I contacted the majority of them and interviewed uh, 14 of them uh, just to delve into the, the issues a wee bit deeper. Um, for the uh, for the sister project for the Book Trust, um, I interviewed 15 creators of colour, so authors, illustrators and author illustrators as well. I mean, it's it's such a stark yeah. finding from that you know yeah. decade of a really booming uh, part of the the publishing industry, isn't it? Yeah, you know, just absolutely. Um, yeah. And you know, when you think about the kind of like questions you encounter in social science about you know representativeness, you know, yeah. like are you capturing you know the the extent of the population and stuff? It's like actually there are only forty people, which yeah. is, is just you know appalling when it's kind of laid out uh, in such stark terms. It is. It I, is I wonder actually um, if, um, is this something that is a kind of like, I don't know, um, specific issue to young, young adult fiction? And I guess the way we, we could get into that is by thinking about what young adult fiction is. You know, you mentioned kind of <laughs> earlier that, that sense of being like, you know, outing yourself as a fan of, <laughs> so it'd be, it'd be interesting to know that. I guess you know, maybe the sort of like what the genre is. Oh, uh, okay. Give us some kind of why actually these questions of representation matter. You know, really quite majorly to uh, to this uh, particular bit of publishing. Um. Yeah. Oh wow. Um. So debate. It's really difficult because debates about YA are are ongoing um and I think this field of literature isn't as easy to conceptualize as other fields or genres etc because like you say I outed myself as a you know a 30 something year old as a as a YA fan and um but actually research has found that the majority of YA readers are over 18 so you know that these books are in one sense being aimed at adolescence but in the other in another on the other hand um you know, being read widely by um, adults. Um, and why it's got a really, really interesting history and it could possibly um, account for why there's so int- so much interest and so many discussions about diversity and why as well. So it's been around for a long time, obviously. Um, uh, and the US, there's, there's been quite a lot of um, history written about the US in particular and obviously we get a lot of culture imported from the US so I think it's interesting to to look at what's what's happened there so so basically it started expanding really in the 60s and 70s in the US when a lot of iconic authors so you may have heard of Judy Bloom um Walter Dean Myers etc so they were published a lot during this period um and this was a really interesting period because previously taboo topics such as um, you know, drug use, sex and sexuality and racism began to feature in YA at this time. Um, and also authors actually began to portray previously underrepresented characters, um, such as working class and people from ethnic minorities, etc. Um, before that, I mean, there had been YA books before that. Um, and the, so in the 40s and 50s, for example, a lot of the characters were predominantly white and middle class and they were sort of, um, you know, they they really kind of drew, drew upon that kind of white middle class sensibility and morality. Um, 
so in the UK in the 60s and 70s, obviously, um, when we're looking at the publishing industry here, there was a lot going on kind of politically, I suppose. So there were lots of racial tensions um, in the UK during this period. Um, people of colour, particularly black men, um, whether they were first generation or other, otherwise, were subject to discrimination from the police and the wider society. There were lots of riots, etc. Um, Professor uh, Karen Sands O'Connor, for example, she's written a great book about um, the sort of history of uh, um, BAME, as, it, as it's often called, um, publishing and, uh, and authors during this this period. And and she said she she wrote that that this actually this sort of fraught racial period was was the impetus for many mainstream publishers uh, in the UK to to publish quite controversial books about black black uh, Britain uh, Britons for adolescent readers. Um, however, these books often had quite short print runs, were not sold in mainstream outlets. Um, and actually, what is really interesting is that um, the interest in publishing such subjects were actually, it was actually quite brief. So it was a trend. And I suppose that's something that we worry about today. A lot of people are talking about diversity, um, in inverted commas, and there is a concern that it, it will be a bit of a, a trend. Um, also, something that, um, that also relates to t- today is that um, books that were published in, during this period were often um, what are described as problem novels. So they're subject-oriented books, uh, rather focusing on the topics such as you know racism, drugs, whatever, uh, rather than the actual telling of the book. So um, and that's something that something that a lot of the authors of color that I spoke to um, uh, so. Complain is is not the right word. Uh, you know they were talking about often they are expected to write problem novels based on, you know their their ethnicity or cultural background as well. Um. So what happened to why after that? So, oh yeah, that's really interesting. So in the in the nineteen eighties, um, there was kind of a more of a backlash to these problem novels, and in the nineties as well, and there was a revival of. The kind of nineteen forties and fifties style romance novels, um, particularly in the US, um, and why it was obviously very popular during this period, um, and the titles were typically really like mass market paperback series, um, that focused on like the series rather than the author, um, and these received quite a lot of criticism because they perpetuated um, heteronormative and stereotypical gender roles and obviously and they were also quite often about white middle class um protagonists and families etc um but they were so popular with teenagers and they kind of instigated uh i suppose a paperback revolution amongst young people um and this was partly because publishers were directly targeting consumers Teenage consumers who were kind of supposed to hanging about shopping malls, etc., with their pocket money, <laughs> loitering at, uh, um, in shopping shopping malls, uh, looking for uh, Sweet Valley High, etc. Um, but that again, that's really interesting because they were directly targeting teenagers rather than selling solely to teachers and librarians. And I think 
There are lots of interesting things happening now, focusing on the audience and what the audience wants, um, rather than you know what you know what parents and teachers want. Um, and I think I think something that is often overlooked in publishing for children and young adults is you know what do the readers actually want? Um, you know where are the I, readers in the whole process. Does that connect to I guess the sort of um impression of of young adult fiction now and its relationship with i guess hollywood blockbusters and you know the kind of like sense that sort of like if you offered sweet valley high now it'd be a bit like that's not what the genre is (laughs) like you know get back to the early 90s (laughs) yeah Um, i remember shamelessly stealing my sister's sweet valley high books um yeah yeah i think i think definitely i think um you know Harry Potter, which obviously started off as children, but a children's a children's book, but then turned into quite a dark way. Um, when Harry etc. grew up, and um, blockbuster authors and series like uh, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight and Suzanne Collins' Hunger Games really kind of catapulted YA into the spotlight and demonstrated that it could be incredibly profitable. Um, and also, kept, I I think it probably highlighted the crossover appeal of YA to adults um as well um and, and I guess at the same time as well those three you've you sort of highlighted also give us some indication of the sort of questions of diversity that mm-hmm. would come up yeah um, so you know there's like long-running debates about Harry Potter yes absolutely um, there's um the Hunger Games, the whole, the whole thing with the Rue and the Hunger Games was was fairly disgusting. Um, um, I don't know if you know the conversation about that. One of the one of the characters, um, Rue, um, who was described as having dark skinned in the book, um, had uh, uh, an African American um, Amanda Steinberg um, uh, actress play her in the film. There was such a backlash against it, really, really racist backlash against it. Um, uh, you know, people were saying things like, "Oh well, you know, she's obviously white. I don't know why they they changed her to an African American um, actress." And I I care less about her now that she's she's black, etc. It was just horrendous. And obviously, there was a, the backlash against um, Hermione being um, black British in the um, in the play as well so yes I don't that, know how to do that but yes I mean that those kind of things I guess are to do with questions of sort of uh representation yeah absolutely yeah. and the assumption um, of what who and what characters are yeah no it, it, exactly but but obviously like the the flip side to that is questions of like production you know and, and, yeah. and kind of who is uh, you know, allowed in uh, to the industry, and, and you, you touched on something really important. You know that uh, that comes up much later in the book. That sense of um, the authors you were talking to uh, don't have the same kind of freedoms. You know, yeah. or, or ambivalence about what they're allowed to write, or you know what will be perceived to sell, and, and this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and I guess one of the sort of big ideas I took away from the early part of the book was this idea about a kind of diversity status quo and and the way that there are lots of kind of initiatives but this this kind of term the diversity state of quo seems to capture much of what's going on in in the industry yeah yeah definitely um yeah i mean we all know that the cultural industries are dominated by 
white middle class professionals. Um, and obviously there's been an increased interest in changing this recently. There have been so many campaigns and initiatives, etc., to promote diverse, and again, I always use diverse in the quote marks, uh, writing, um, but also to, um, to get more people of colour into the industry as well. Um, so I think most... Most of the inter- uh, initiatives have focused on giving underrepresented groups access to gatekeepers or increasing quotas. Um, however, the same structural inequalities persist. Um, so Animic is uh, was in his brilliant book Race in the Cultural Industries uh, was gives a very great critical look on uh, diversity um, initiatives. Um, explaining that they're rooted in two really problematic assumptions. A, that the quality and scope of cultural products um, would actually be improved by um, increasing the number of cultural producers, um, you know, diverse cultural producers, um, and that representation can be achieved through demographic parity. So, yeah, if you... If you um, if you increase the number of people of color, um, then the quality and the you know that's fine, that's enough. And if you if there are fifteen, fifteen percent of authors of color or fifteen or whatever of the publishing industry, that you know that's fine. So not actually looking at the quality of the books, um, and also I think one of the 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 problems is that is that um, a lot of the focus is just getting people of colour into the industry, whether they're publishing professionals or um, authors of colour, um, just getting them in, in the first place. But I think the problem is really just allowing them, like we like we said, allowing them the space to create what they want and the environment to sustain their career as well. Um, authors of colour tend to get exploited in the industry um, in order to make their work more profitable. Um and as publisher, publishers obviously are increasingly focused on profit, so they're likely to cater to existing and dominant market trends as well. So like we said, authors of colour are encouraged to to write stories based on their cultural or ethnic backgrounds, um, often that are often, I don't know, palatable to white tastes and sensibilities. They can perpetuate cultural stereotypes and racial tropes, etc. By doing this as well, um, so yes, I think instead of you know getting people in, it's how do we actually create an environment that is welcoming um, to sustain the careers of authors of color, um, and I think after decades of um, following versions of the same, often very well-meaning templates for diversity, uh, I think we have to admit that there they've failed and we need to um, move past the idea of diversity. Um, and I suppose the, the w- one, one way to, to stop, one way to, to do that is maybe stop using the word, like banish it from our vocabularies altogether. Um, because I think it's quite divisive and, and it can be polarizing and marginalizing as well. So, I don't think there is an official record that diversity diversity initiatives actually change the representation of people of colour on or off the page. So 
we need to think about different ways of changing the culture and changing the system really i mean i i, I couldn't agree more and, and the book makes a really compelling case for that particularly in terms of the kind of experiences yeah. uh, which uh, your authors have, uh, have talked you through uh, that, that come up in the later part of the book and i'm also very interested and you, you sort of touched on on some of them uh, already but i'm also interested in the kind of the sense of like consequences mm-hmm. of these inequalities, yeah. um, which coalesce around this question of like what, what's kind of missing in terms of representations in young, young adult fiction. You know, what what sort of maybe what kind of Britishness is is, is seen uh, at the moment? Oh God, yeah. I mean, waking up to um, I don't know. I mean, waking up to the sorry, this is going off topic completely, but waking up to the council election results. Um, today kind of shows you the kind of backlash to to you know the the past couple of years since the 2016 the results of the referendum um and i think we can't really have a conversation about britishness without talking about brexit um and i think unfortunately brexit has brought really antiquated notions of britishness back to the fore um, uh, I was talking about this with a friend the other day. I'm so embarrassed to be. I always I always describe myself as Scottish because I'm so embarrassed to be British at the moment. Um, and I think I don't know. Brit- uh, Brexit has revealed like really horrible underlying feelings of English nationhood and nationalism that's um, rooted in these really nostalgic ideas of English identity. Um, and I do think it's important to make the distinction between English and British here because it's often, you know, Britishness is often and has often been conflated with Englishness. Um, however, I think there are some really fantastic authors, um, not just YA, but, you know, adult fiction, etc., and nonfiction as well, um, who are challenging these stereotypical ideas of what it means to be British. Um, so just thinking about British YA authors of colour, there have been some fantastic ones that have been publishing for many years. Uh, Mallory Blackman, for example, uh, sorry, Mallory Blackman, for example, is just a stalwart of um, British YA publishing. Um, we've depended a lot, um, as the research has shown, um, on imports from the US um, in the YA publishing industry, particularly about books, um, books about race and racism. Um, so what has been really encouraging is to see so many books looking at contemporary British identity. Um, and a lot of these are issue books and they, they look at issues such as, um, gentrification, discrimination, inequality, class divides, gang violence, police brutality, etc. Um, I'm just trying to think of some examples, uh, Run Riot by Nikesh Shukla, for example, um, really encapsulates a post-Brexit Britain. Um, Alex Wheatle's books, uh, which are incredibly, incredibly funny books based in South London. Um, They look at classism, racism, sexism, etc. But these these issues actually aren't the main focus of the book. They're just very lovely, funny books about families and friendships. And they have the most wonderful characters. Patrice Lawrence um, is such a brilliant writer and she writes a lot about mixed heritage families um, 
that are again that are often ignored in uh, literary culture, um, and that and these families often don't fit the conventional mould. So you know there there might be foster families, etc. Um, a book that I really loved recently um, was A Change Is Gonna Come, um, which is a an anthology of short stories by British authors of colour. Um, again, aimed at a YA audience. Um, and what I loved about this book is that although the stories do touch upon identity and culture and ethnicity in the UK, they're not centred around ethnicity. Um, and they're all, and we talked about genre conventions as well. These, uh, these they're short, it's a book of short stories and some poetry as well. And they're all written in different genres um, and show the kind of complexities and intersectionality um, of identities which I think um, I think that 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 has been missing from YA books in the past. Um, that the sort of yeah the the intersectionality of identities. Um, all of this is is uh, positive, of course. Um, and there have been some brilliant nonfiction books as well recently. Um, these are not YA, but I think they're important. It's actually important to think about them. So Afua Hirsch's British. Um, and more recently, Akala's Natives, they're, they're two really brilliant books. Um, however, they show that things in terms of uh, racism, discrimination, and how we talk about race in the UK, and I think that's an important thing to think about and note, um, they haven't really moved on <laughs> that much since, um, uh, you know, since Paul Gilroy's work, for example. Um, I'm just trying to think about more YA books that I, I can talk about. Um, um, I'll think about that and I'll come back. I'm quite interested in, uh, it, it's it's not attention, but the balance here between that kind of sense of celebration of these um, authors that, you know, have made an impact, yeah. uh, both in terms of, you know, the literary quality, but yeah. also in terms you know, being kind of uh, visible as as being you know economically successful, selling copies and and that kind of thing, and then I suppose the sort of wider system that yeah. towards the end of the book you engage with um, as needing kind of like strategies to navigate, yeah. to fit, but also some strategies for for resistance. Yeah. And I guess you know, is the story you told of those successes are they going to carry on being those sort of not one-offs, but, you know, in 10 years, will we be talking about another 40 authors? Yeah. Period. Or actually are these, you know, kind of strategies of resistance going to be ways of really uh, transforming things? Um, I'm, I'm on the one hand, incredibly pessimistic. Um, but on the other, on the other hand, secretly optimistic, because I think there are lots of people doing things at a grassroots level that are inspiring and encouraging and fantastic. Um, you know, I saw Amy Fallon from Nights of yesterday. The Nights of are an inclusive children's publisher. Um, that are really they have so much energy and drive, and they're doing amazing things. They opened a bookshop called Roundtable Books yesterday, which is set in. Um, Brixton and you know they're doing brilliant things so I speak to people like Amy um and you know I I can see the energy and the enthusiasm and the passion to do things and make change happen but it really is happening at, at you know on a individual level 
And then I go to events where, you know, the head of children's publishing at a major publishing company talks about diverse books and normal books and oppositions. So there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to be done. Um, so strategies, strategies of resistance. Well, we were talking earlier about, um, what it means to be British and obviously British author of color, authors, authors of color, whether that's YA or otherwise, they do challenge the perception of what it means to be British and what British literature is. Um, obviously at the moment, um, canonical authors who are generally white middle-class men um, monopolize the de- definition of Britishness. So by constructing their own notions of Britishness, authors, um, authors of color are basically I suppose, broadening the understanding of of what it means to be British today. And I think that in itself is an act of resistance. So writing as an author of colour is just an act of resistance. Um, Doing doing these excellent, innovative and agile uh, businesses such as um, Nights Of, and also in adult publishing, Own It, uh, led by Crystal Mahay Morgan, you know, having these exciting um, and agile business models that are very much in tune with the demands of their audiences, really putting readers, um, particularly underrepresented readers, at the heart of everything they do. You know, that that's exciting. But again, these are two, like Amy Fallon um, and Crystal Mahay Morgan, they're two women of colour, and it's it's a lot for, for them to do all the heavy lifting. Um, I think when I start seeing the big publishers really you know, publishing books with incidental diversity, so where authors of colour are just writing and, yes, they may or may not have characters of colour and these become the norm, then I'll, yeah, I'll feel a bit more positive about it. However, actually saying that, you know, seeing the success of um, Angie Thomas, Thomas's books um, and films, etc., um, are are really very exciting as well. Sorry, what's next? I don't know if that answered your question. It did, no, perfectly. What, what's next for you um, in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned a, a recent project report around kind of children's yeah. uh, publishing. I mean, this this subject is so kind of important and so live right now. Yeah. The temptation, I guess, is to kind of like carry on working on it forever. But, um, you know, are you thinking it, about more stuff or something different? It's really dif- difficult because I think, and this is why I'm really excited that Anamik is doing, um, has got the funding to do his uh, uh, his study of the publishing industry. I think like authors of colour, color, you feel this kind of burden as a scholar of colour, you feel this burden of responsibility to to carry on this work. And I, it is very, very important. And I know that I will carry it on, but it, it's a lot. It is a lot. It's, I think, diversity work in general, whether it's for authors or publishing professionals or for scholars of colour, is just exhausting. It's stressful and it's frustrating. So I will continue doing it, but I, I'm, yeah, I'm working on other projects as well. A lot of my um, research has traditionally and historically looked at, you know, the field of restricted pr- production. So culture, which is in the cultural production, which is in the uh, fringes of literature mainstream so I'm always going to do things you know I'm I've got I'm looking I'm doing a project on translated books but I'm always I'm always going to be interested authorship and also books uh, for um uh, by and about marginalized communities as well so yes I am going to continue this I think with the book trust report we we will do that every couple of years I I'm I'm looking at 2017 and 2018 at the moment 
for for YA to think to see things if things have improved, and I really hope that they have improved. But I think just for my own for my own sense, uh, I have to do other things as well, just because it's exhausting. It is really exhausting. I sort of look forward to uh, to seeing the other things as they develop. But but for okay. now, I mean, I just recommend really widely. You know, I mean, there's so much more we could have talked about changes in technology. Wow. Um, detailed interview data but yeah i just think it's uh, it's a book that um everybody should read thank you very much sorry if i was a bit money at the end i went to an event last night a diversity event and i think i'm still feeling a bit drained from that <laughs> <laughs>